With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation. VOC Nation Radio Network Wrestling with History, the voice of choice, Bruce Ford, Killer Ken Resnick, and Ken. After about a month, a uh, month or so of not doing any live or live to tape shows, here we are back together, a brand new format, looking year by year into the '80s. But how have you been, Killer Ken? What's uh, what's been going on in your life? I, I, I'm just glad that you, you finally started towing the line and your wife was let you out of the basement again. Oh, boy. Ken, have you ever, <laughs> have you, you don't have children, right? No. Okay. You've never gone through a pandemic before, before this one? You weren't around. No, I, I might be old, but I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've never gone through a pandemic before this one. Anybody out there that has a couple of little ones that were used to living life a certain way and then everything gets flipped uh, upside down and turned on its head, they know exactly what I'm talking about. But, uh, you know, the beautiful thing is, Ken, for, for people that haven't listened before, I am just blessed to be at home during this time with my family because uh, I move around a lot. I travel the, the country a lot for, uh, for my primary uh, job and it's nice to, to be home for a while but this is wrestling with history and each week killer ken and i are going to look back at a different year in professional wrestling we're going to start back in the 80s and we are going to look at 1983 this week and we picked 1983 as, as a starting point because there's two major things that happen actually three so the first and foremost thing is this man right here, Killer Ken Resnick of WWF, uh, AWA, and AWF, and LPWA fame, amongst other things, roller derby, uh, and, and some other things. Killer Ken joined the wrestling business in 1983 with the AWA, but this is also on the dawn of Hulkamania, and then there was a major trade that we'll talk about that happened in Mid-South in the NWA. And this is kind of, this set the stage for really the golden era of professional wrestling. And Ken, I just want to start there because there's a lot of people that will scream at me through their, their headset, their uh, earphones or their phone or whatever they're listening on. Maybe they're listening on vocnation.com. They're going to scream at me and say the golden era was the 90s or the golden era was the mid 2000s with Eddie Guerrero. But maybe it was the 70s with Bruno and Bob Backlund and and uh, or the 60s. But to me, Ken, as uh, you know, somebody that's, uh, you know, 40 years old, 
I grew up with Hulkamania. I grew up in the 80s where that was it. There, there was nothing better than that period from like 84 to 91. Wrestling was golden. And you've lived a lot of this. What do you think? Well, the, first off, the best news I can give you, Bruce, is because, you know, we're just recording this podcast as long and as loud and hard as they scream at you. You won't hear it. I don't have to take any calls anymore. <laughs> um, I, what was the question again? In the golden era of professional yeah. wrestling. So you had, I mean, there's a couple different eras that, that are, are they're known to fans to be great. And, and I think if you were talking to Bill Apter, he might tell you it was the 60s and the 70s with Bruno. If you were talking to somebody else, they might say it was Stone Cold Steve Austin and the Attitude Era. Somebody else might tell you that it was Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit and all the, the, uh, the really, the, when Matt wrestling, not, not Matt wrestling, when, when uh, you know, the current, the worker era started to happen in the 2000s, and some people love the product today. But uh, to me, I think that mid-80s product was the best because it, it captured uh, what kids were looking for and it captured what adults were looking for with the WWF and the NWA and the AWA even at that point. You had something for everyone. Well, I, I would agree with you, Bruce, but for a, a little different reason, uh, I also consider the, you know, the 80s, the really the, the golden era of wrestling, and, and not because that's when I was most heavily involved, because, you know, that's when Vince McMahon began to take WWF nationally. That's when, you know, uh, you had the promoters try and get together to counter that with, you know, Pro Wrestling USA, which brought wrestlers from the AWA, the NWA, some other promotions together. And I view that as a real golden era because that's really the first time when fans in other territories began to be able to see the stars that they had not been exposed to. Um, you know, prime example, certainly, you know, as a wrestling fan before I got involved, you know, Bruno San Martino, I, I mean, was an absolute legendary name, but we didn't see him on TV. There wasn't cable. So to me, that's when the really the, the golden era began because it, it gave you know, fans in other territories, a chance to watch other stars other than those in their particular territory. So, Ken, and, and this created, obviously, a ton of controversy. So you were, you were breaking into the business back then in the AWA. I, we're going to take fans down memory lane. And we did a whole long-form show on this back on the very first episode of Wrestling With History. So I invite you to just look for VOC Nation Radio Network, search for Wrestling With History on your favorite podcast app, or go to vocnation.com, click the Wrestling With History tab, and look for the archives, and you can hear all about Killer Ken and his journey into professional wrestling. But let's just uh, start right there. So you're coming into the business, and... Uh, you got in through, you were doing some sport, sports casting and you had an opportunity to meet Vern. 
And at the same time, Vince McMahon is really starting to get things going in the, uh, in the New York territory. Starcade is, is going to happen in 1983 down in uh, the, the NWA territory. What's Vern thinking about uh, the moves that are happening and the territories uh, that are beginning to uh, maybe bleed, uh, bleed out from each other, you know, cross over? Well, I, I think initially, and this is a little supposition on my part, a little from, you know, being in some of the meetings, initially, Vern didn't take it as a real serious business threat. You know, his whole career, I mean, he started on the old Dumont Network out of Chicago, right. and the only you know, thing he knew about wrestling was, you know, the territories, you know, the unwritten agreement between, you know, all the other promoters, uh, you know, Don Owens out on the West Coast of Von Erickson in Texas, you know, you don't tread on each other. Uh, and I think initially he kind of took it almost as folly that, there's no way Vince is going to be able to to come into you know Chicago or Minneapolis, you know or or Denver. Those are are his territories. Um, and also, Vern, I think, was a little slow in that he only viewed television as a almost as an infomercial to just sell tickets for the house show never really conceptualized how vince did about the tremendous advertising revenue uh you know the the pay-per-views um so i i think uh early on vince kind of had uh an unobstructed path plus he had the financial backing where he could come into a market and offer the television station you know he paid for his airtime i mean it, it it wasn't uh like today when you see you know the the following is a paid presentation I mean, he paid for the time, and it was also a, a, a barter system. But he had the wherewithal <clears throat> to come in. Uh, you know, we were on the independent <clears throat> station here. It was a very powerful independent. Uh, but he came in, I think at that point, uh, CARE 11 might have been the ABC uh, affiliate. Uh, and he was able to buy his hour of syndication time. So from that standpoint, I, I, I think that the promoters around the country kind of disbelieving, A, that he would dare to, to do this, uh, I, I think, you know, Vince Sr. would never have done that. But kind of the disbelief that, and so they kind of all started out a little bit behind the eight ball. Sure. And how, so as this is starting to come together, how's business for the AWA 
going into 1983. So when, first of all, when did you join the company? Just so everybody uh, I joined it, um, boy, I mean, 1983, um, I think in like about, you know, mid summer. Okay. So um, well, and I actually it would have been because it was following, uh, the celebrity golf tournament and tennis tournament where I met Vernon and he called me, uh, at the station I was working. So it probably would have been, uh, late summer or early fall of 1983. And, and, and Hogan is still there at that point when you joined the company. Yes, okay. absolutely. So I, I got to ask about business because I'm looking. So if you look down and, and I was looking through the AWA shows from 1983 and it starts out as a, I mean, the AWA had the dominant names. So I'm looking at a uh, TV taping from 83. And on that taping, you have Rick Martell, you have Ken Patera, Kurt Henning, Baron Von Raschke, Nick Bockwinkle, Greg Gagne, Hulk Hogan, all on the same card. And those names, many of those names, would end up being the core of the WWF as Vince took that product national. So tell me about business when you came into the AWA. Oh, business was great. And Bruce, besides, you know, those names, I mean, they had the Crusher, you know, they had Mad Dog Vachon, uh, you know, the AWA. So business was booming. Bobby Heenan. Bobby Heenan. Uh, I mean, there was a time... This was probably uh, 84, where on a Sunday night, they, the AWA, sold out the St. Paul Civic Center, which was about 18,000 people, and then had about another three to 4,000 next door in the old St. Paul Auditorium watching it basically on, you know, a, a movie-style screen. I mean, it was, you know, one of the early... Uh, pay-per-views in a sense. So, you know, business was great because like you said, they, they had so many names. Scott Hall was there. Uh, and you know, Vern had a great reputation. Uh, yeah, I, uh, one of the early group photos, um, everyone, Andre, the giant still, you know, it, it had come in. <clears throat> this was, you know, a little bit before Vince had moved into to AWA territory, you know, Andre the Giant was there, Otto Vance from, from Germany, they had a pretty good relationship uh, with the Giant Baba, you know, guys going back and forth to Japan, Stan Hansen was there. I mean, business was booming. <laughs> and I, I think that also contributed to the fact that as good as business was, uh, Vern was probably a little slow. I mean, his initial thinking and most people would have assumed, you know, it, it's like it, it, if you basically you know, have, you know, 80 to 90% of the market share and market penetration, you're not really worried about some outsider that's think, talking about trying to, to come in and do business in your town. Sure. Um, so I, I think, all those things, as bizarre as it sounds, the fact that the AWA was doing so well 
you know, in, in Chicago and Milwaukee, Green Bay, Denver, Salt Lake, uh, you know, Winnipeg, uh, that business was so good, it again allowed Vince, as uh, strange as it seems, to, to come in a little bit under the radar, you know, in terms of Vern's thinking. Sure. I want to just give fans a sense of what's happening in the business and, and look at AWA and WWF at this same time, January 1983, and, and then the names. So, on, and this is a card, I'm just picking a card from, from Milwaukee at the auditorium. Attendance was 3,400 people, just about. So you had Jerry Blackwell and Sheik Adnan, who we had on this show, and, and please go back and listen to the interview with Sheik Adnan, Al Casey. Uh, it's back in the archives. Great, great interview. We go deep in depth about not only the angle with Sergeant Slaughter, but his friendship with Saddam Hussein, his friendship with Ken Resnick and the Resnick family. Just a, a wonderful man and a great interview. So check that out. Jerry Blackwell and Sheik Adnan defeated AWA Tag Team Champions Greg Gagne and Jim Brunzel by, our, by uh, disqualification. Hulk Hogan defeats Jesse Ventura. Wahoo McDaniel defeated Bobby Duncan. Ken Patera defeated Baron Von Raschke and Buck Zumoff uh, drew Bobby the Brain Heenan. Now, Ken, on the other side of, well, not on the other side of the country, but on, uh, on the East Coast. So here is a WWF card from around the same time in 1983. J King Parsons defeated Jerry Bryant. This is Maple Leaf Gardens, January 9th, 1983. King Parsons defeated Jerry Bryant. Jim Nelson defeated Nick DiCarlo. Rudy and Terry Kay defeated Ken Timms and Frank Monty. Sal Belomo defeated Buddy Rose. North American champion Leo Burke defeated Johnny Weaver. Uh, Jimmy Superfly Snooker was defeated by Ray Stevens. There, uh, there was a count out there. And Canadian champion Angelo Mosca defeated Leroy Brown. Now, fans that exist today and have the, the uh, technological wherewithal to, uh, to download a podcast and listen to this show, they're thinking, oh my word, I know all of those names from the AWA and I know maybe one or two, and Jimmy Snuka being definitely one in the WWF. So from a name standpoint, all of the momentum was with Vern. Wouldn't you say that at that point in time? Uh, yeah, I mean, when you were reading off the card, the first three matches, I'm kind of saying to myself, who? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm thinking because uh, when I made the jump to the WWF in, in 86, uh, they were running then two and sometimes three shows a night. I'm wondering if there might not have been a... a, a Another show, uh, you know, somewhere else, maybe in the States, not <clears throat> up in, in Toronto, because that certainly not no disrespect meant compared to a lot of the names in the WWF. That kind of sounds like the B team well, uh, other than Jimmy Snuka. Yeah, let's look at some of the other names. So WWF at the, this time, right? This is January of 83. So some of the other names that uh, you see on some of the other cards, Eddie Gilbert, who people know. Don Morocco, 
Obviously, the WWF world champion at the time is Bob Backlund. Superstar Billy Graham's in the territory, Rocky Johnson. So, you know, it's not terrible. Mr. Fuji was around, still wrestling at the time. Lou Albano was a big personality on TV. But, I mean, that's what you got. Pedro Morales. Uh, I would still say that from a talent standpoint, uh, a lot of the polarizing personalities are on TV in the Midwest. Wouldn't you say that? Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, in 1983, top to bottom, the talent in the AWA was the best in the country. Now, now, so you mentioned before that there was some, some working together. So sometimes the promoters would work together. And I think this was, um, this was before uh, Vince McMahon, it was right before Vince McMahon, Vincent Kennedy McMahon started his journey to, uh, to take over the world. But I also in my research saw some of these names uh, would, would cross over. So I saw Kurt Henning in WWF cards and AWA cards. And then I even uh, in uh, May of May 20th, 1983, Houston, Texas, WWF champion Bob Backlund defeats off of the Samoan on an AWA card. So was that common back then that uh, the major promotions would share talent to help each other out? Uh, I, I, I think it was like, you know, I say one of the earliest group shots uh, that I have uh, taken an AWA TV, Andre the Giant is there. So uh, I, I think we should clarify uh, for the listeners, Bruce, when you say, you know, working together, it was more they would lend their talent to another promotion for, you know, maybe, you know, one or two uh, rounds uh, of their, you know, major cities. Um, the really working together came out of, uh, you know, when Pro Wrestling USA uh, came to the forefront uh, either late 84, early 85 and trying to, you know, finally, uh, do something to hopefully stop or slow Vince McMahon spread. That's when, you know, they would do joint TVs. And, and the funny thing, you know, they're the, the inside, one of the downfalls of pro wrestling USA, even though they were working together on this television, you know, no promoter wanted their talent to get beat by another territory's talent on national TV, you know, because Pro Wrestling USA was airing on, on ESPN. Um, so even though they were beginning to work together, it was still to a point that uh, the promoters of their territories were very territorial. Sure. Well, and, and again, that's how the business was. It was, it was very territory driven. And, and it, when things weren't on TV, news didn't travel very fast in terms of media, wrestling media, you had, I think the observer uh, was in its infancy at that time as a, a mailed out newsletter. And you had the wrestling magazines, you know, the uh, quote unquote after magazines that would, uh, you know, do some kayfabe stories and, and kind of give uh, results for matches. But you didn't get to see really what was happening unless 
uh, you did some hardcore tape trading or or something like that, right? And, and that's uh, people were allowed to, or, or able to to work the circuits a little bit better without word getting out. Oh, exactly. And remember, you know, as good as you know, Pressing Illustrated was, uh, I think Wrestling Observer, that by the time those magazines hit the newsstand what they were, were really reporting on was a couple of months old. Sure. So there wasn't the, you know, instantaneous knowledge. And other than, you know, like some sidebar pieces, you know, even in those days, mainstream media really didn't cover wrestling. <laughs> so if if you lived in Chicago and were an AWA fan, all you really knew was what you saw on TV or what happened in Chicago. You would have no idea what took place in Denver or Salt Lake or Winnipeg. So, Ken, you joined the company, the AWA, in, in August, right, of, of 1983? Uh, yeah, August, September, you know, late summer, early fall. If you were a betting man, if you like to place wagers, would you have bet? at that point in time that the AWA would stay dominant long into the rest of the decade? Oh, absolutely. Well, let me tell you something, Ken, if you like to bet, and I, I don't know if you do, but if you do, there's a wonderful site out there called my bookie and winning season returns at my bookie winning season means doubling your first deposit. That's right. Ken, you can double your first deposit. Winning season means insane props epic bonuses, and the craziest cross-sport wagers. At MyBookie, winning season means watching live sports and betting live sports all season long. So Ken Resnick, rejoice. The NFL has returned, and that means action-packed Sundays and huge cash prizes. Get in on the action. I know that you will use the promo code VOCNATION. That's all one word, VOCNATION, and double your first deposit. You get up to $1,000 in free play, Ken, if you're doing it for the very first time, new players. And it's designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Bet with the best this NFL season for your chance to win big. Use the promo code VOC Nation and double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today only at my bookie. Did my bookie exist back when uh, when you were doing that betting in in the AWA? No, no, it did not. But ladies and gentlemen, there you have the reason they call him the voice of choice. You talk about a lead into a transition. There you have it from Bruce Wirt. Only on this program will you hear that <laughs> wrestling with history. And so, I mean, yeah, Ken, I, I'm looking at the names. I'm looking at the landscape. And I would have bet on Vern. Was there any talk when you came in? And, and I know Vern was a very old school guy and, and bitterly. I mean, he, he would not sell out to the McMahons even till the, the bitter end. Uh, was Vern, when Vince started to talk about making moves, did Vern even think about hey, maybe we should try to buy some time slots in, in different territories and we should make a run at this. Well, remember what, what they did uh, after Vince began to get such a, a foothold nationally and, and was so apparent that he was looking to be 
you know, nationwide, you know, going after really the the major cities of every territory, that's when they formed uh, Pro Wrestling USA. Uh, and Vern uh, cut, uh, uh, boy, talk about a one-sided deal, a rental agreement, and we ran a couple of shows at the Meadowlands uh, in New Jersey. And I mean, drew really, really well, great shows, but the rent factor and everything they agreed to, uh, they just, they, they couldn't come out. And I remember being in, in some of the discussions, uh, where, you know, Vince was kind of, you know, going through the country like a, a blitzkrieg. Yep. Um, and you know, before I'd gotten into television, uh, I was a district sales manager for Chrysler Corporation, and certainly, Bruce, you know, with your corporate background, if you're facing it in business, uh, what was in a sense a, a hostile takeover attempt by Vince McMahon and WWF, the first thing you kind of do, you're taught uh, in any business school is you circle your wagons, you protect your own business. And being old school and so angered by what Vince w was by that point beginning to successfully do, uh, Vern focused on trying to get into Vince's backyard and, you know, let markets like uh, Chicago, like Milwaukee, like, you know, Winnipeg, uh, basically be, you know, uh, almost secondary in, in thought and ripe for, um, you know, uh, takeover. And, uh, he had at that point, uh, because it, it wasn't doing very well, it, it slipped. Um, you know, he's Vern sold, uh, Winnipeg, the Winnipeg market and Winnipeg television to uh, Wally Carbo, Jack Lanza, and Nick Bockwinkle. Uh, and for a, a, a number of reasons, uh, they ended up taking that television and giving that market to Vince, uh, the late Dennis Hilgard, the promoter in Milwaukee. Again, a lot of it was financial, but he, you know, left Vern and, you know, he had the, the contacts and the agreements, you know, in Milwaukee and he went with Vince. Uh, and it was, you know, a lot because, uh, you know, Vern didn't quite understand, uh, you know, the uh corporate premise when you're facing a hostile takeover <clears throat> you circle the wagons um uh, and you know Vern left a a lot of uh flanks uh exposed sure well and and the biggest one so and I want to ask you about this so you know obviously we all know Hulk Hogan was the chosen one and Vince uh maybe you know watching Hogan, seeing his charisma, seeing the success of uh, Rocky, uh, Rocky three, I think it was Thunderlips, uh, and, and deciding to, to build around Hogan. There was, there was a time when I, I think Hogan was one of several that Vince 
was considering for that role. I think Dusty Rhodes was in the conversation. Um, and this is just uh, what I've heard, you know, uh, just listening to insiders over the years talk about it. But, you know, it could have been Hogan, could have been Dusty Rhodes. Uh, I think there were some other names. Ric Flair was in there. And uh, Sergeant Slaughter was was in the conversation. Had you heard of anything, any other rumblings? Uh, you know, obviously Hogan was under contract with AWA when you got there. But when when these rumblings of Vince starting to make his moves were happening, did were any other names thought about in terms of who he would build that that brand around? Well, I, I knew the AWA and Hulk and I were were pretty good friends and I knew he was seriously thinking about going to Vince and the, the WWF and we <clears throat> talked about it, uh, you know, a little bit. Uh, and he was telling me and, you know, Hulk did give Vern an opportunity. He, he was thinking about staying. Um, one of the big things that Vince was able to offer was a, a, <clears throat> high percentage of the secondary marketing, the t-shirts and hats and everything else. Um, and Vern didn't want to do that. You know, he said, without me, you know, you wouldn't be able to sell anything. I'm not giving you that. Um, and I remember, you know, talking with Hulk and finally I said, you know, what's, what's stopping you? I, I mean, it, it's like, you know, do you want, you know, you've got two choices. You've got A or you've got B, which is about 25 times what A is. What's, right. you know, and, you know, his exact, you know, not exact, but basically what he said, because Vern can give me the one thing Vince can't. And I said, what's that? And he goes, time off. Okay. Um, you know, most times in the AWA, uh, they would generally, we might run uh, different cities like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and they would come back, you know, late Sunday night or, or Monday morning, and they'd be, you know, home Monday, Tuesday was our interview day. They would be home, you know, Wednesday, and then probably fly out like Thursday afternoon. Um, you know, so you were almost and then especially once a month we would always run you know st paul on a sunday night which meant they were home sunday monday tuesday wednesday and then would leave thursday uh where in wwf you know you were you know on the road 20 25 27 days out of a month um but you know in the end what what vince was willing to <clears throat> offer was just too much and again we never really spoke about this just my you know impression supposition certainly hulk was the biggest name in the territory i think everybody would agree with that um but they never considered or would put the belt on him and as you mentioned Vern was very much old school and I think a lot of times he thought he, he could make more money by Hulk chasing the ch world championship than having it and you know it's the the famous match where Hulk was act, act 
actually AWA heavyweight champion for about 60 seconds. Um, Defeated Nick Bockwinkle in the St. Paul Civic Center, was given the championship belt. The crowd was going crazy. And then Wally Carbo came out and said no, that, you know, like five minutes before, Hulk had thrown Nick supposedly over the top rope, which is an automatic disqualification in the AWA, so Nick gets the title by disqualification. And they gave it right back to him. Uh, I I, I don't know it for sure, um, but I don't think Hulk was aware that that was coming. He may have have spoken about it since. I'm not aware of it. Um, But I think the fact they never would put the belt on him uh, was also one of the contributing factors as to why he left. So you're saying, and this is probably news, I've never heard this before. So are you saying that Hulk Hogan thought that he was going to walk out of the arena that night as the champion and didn't know that they were going to do the, uh, the quote-unquote dusty finish there and take the belt off of him? Um, and again, I, want to be, I, I don't know for sure, but I think that's my best guess. Wow. Wow, that's, uh, that's interesting. Maybe, uh, maybe someday. So, so Jimmy Hart has, uh, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's kind of promised that he'd do this with us one of these weeks. And maybe we'll get Jimmy Hart on and, and maybe Jimmy can get us uh, inside the, the brain of Hulk Hogan to, to get that question. And maybe, you know, I'm sure that somebody listening to this show will tweet us at Bruce VOC or at VOC Nation. So you get, if, you get, if you want to get it to me and make sure that I read it, at Bruce VOC, you can get anything that you want to send to Ken there too, because Ken doesn't have a Twitter. So send us a tweet at Bruce VOC if you think you know about that Hulk Hogan false title victory where Nick Bockwinkel uh, lost to Hogan. It's a very famous moment. Uh, the crowd was really erupting. I think uh, I had the Tiger was playing and uh, it was just a huge moment. And then, like you said, Ken, 60 seconds later, it was all over and talk about heat. Uh, <laughs> in those days, it probably was pretty tough for Bobby Heenan and Nick Bockwinkel to make it back to the hotel in one piece. Uh, well, I was in St. Paul, so they, they both <clears throat> lived in town, <clears throat> but I mean, you know, I was there at, at ringside <clears throat> and I didn't really think about it at the time, but it, it was pretty obvious that Nick was kind of propelling himself. <clears throat> you know, he was certainly thrown by Hulk, but <clears throat> looked very much like he was propelling himself, uh, <clears throat> over the top rope. <clears throat> So didn't think much of it, and, and no, no, neither did you know anyone else uh, until you know Wally came out and, and took the 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 title away from him. But uh, I, I think we can safely say, uh, with the fans of the AWA, it was not exactly a popular decision. Yeah, for sure, and and I think next week we'll talk a little bit more about the transition and Hogan leaving the AWA and maybe some, some more conversation that you had there. So I'm very interested in that. But what I want to do uh, while we have some time this week is take a, a trip uh, further east and then further down the coast 
so the major NWA territory was Jim Crockett Promotions. And a lot of people, when they think about the first major wrestling event that was broadcast on, uh, you know, across the country, they think about WrestleMania. But really, the very first attempt at something like that was Starcade. And Starcade 1983, Flair for the Gold, happened in November of 1983 at the Greensboro Coliseum, the very famous Greensboro Coliseum. And uh, the headline was Ric Flair versus Harley Race for the title. And uh, Ken, a- another big match on the card. And again, you talk about guys that would end up being a major part of the WWF run was the very famous match between uh, Greg Valentine and Roddy Piper. So I, I want to talk about those names, but, but first um, talk about Starcade and what that meant to the industry at that point. Um, was that an attempt by Crockett to get out ahead of McMahon and draw some natural national interest? And then talk to me about, the NWA and the collection of companies that worked under that NWA banner and uh, how Jim Crockett fit into that mix. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know that it Starcade was, you know, viewed, um, as the, the first inroad into, pay-per-view per se I closed think circuit, a, a closed circuit I, I think a lot of people just kind of looked at it like you know I wonder if they're gonna make anything on that um, <clears throat> so it, it uh, <clears throat> and again you know one of the reasons I think as you say a lot of people view Wrestlemania as really the the first pay-per-view is because, again, Vince had the foresight to kind of bring the Hollywood types and entertainers into WrestleMania, so you began to at least get the attention of non-wrestling fans, where Starcade was just strictly wrestling. wrestling. You know, it, it was closed circuit but the only people that really paid attention to it were, you know, hardcore wrestling fans. <clears throat> WrestleMania suddenly, you know, the, the, even the mainstream was, wait a minute, what's this about Liberace? What? what, what? Um, so I, I, I don't think it was viewed in the quite the, the, the same vein. Uh, but again, by the time, you know, WrestleMania came around, you know, Vince had a national footprint. Sure. Now, when, when, so Starcade comes out and I understand that it wasn't the entertainment, it wasn't the entertainment aspect of it, but did it, did wrestling, and, and I, was, I was very young, so I, I'm 40, so three years old. I was three years old when this happened in 83. Was wrestling uh, equivalent to boxing in terms of, you know, would people gather in bars and, and things like that to watch a big wrestling event like this on closed circuit? Or was it 
um, okay, well, if I'm in Greensboro, maybe I'll check it out, but uh, I'm not going to go out of my way to, to see Ric Flair at Harley Race unless I'm a hardcore wrestling fan. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think so. Uh, the reality, Starcade didn't really get, you know, much play uh, here in the Midwest. Uh, and I think the answer to your question is no. Um, you know, part of the reason people didn't gather in bars to, to, to watch, you know, wrestling, at least here is because we were on like 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, it, it's a funny story. Uh, back, uh, in those days, you know, Lou Holtz was a football coach at the university of Minnesota. Uh, for two years before he went to Notre Dame, and it was huge. I mean, you know, he, they, uh, people were just captivated that the Gophers could land a coach uh, uh, the likes of uh, Lou Holtz. And they used to have a Friday luncheon before every home game. And they would always have, you know, I, I, I don't want to say a celebrity, but somebody – you know, that was known from a TV station or whatever to MC the luncheon. Uh, and they asked me to uh, MC uh, the luncheon. It was the Gophers' last home game against, you know, Michigan. And then uh, following that, Lou bolted for Notre Dame. So I was saying, in a sense, you could say, you know, maybe it was my MC that ran Lou out of town. Uh, <laughs> but Lou w- was such a kind of controller of making sure he controlled the story that before the luncheon we met and uh, his PR person wanted to go over, you know, all the lines or any jokes or anything, you know, I was going to say. And one of the lines I'll never forget was, um, I never could have imagined I would be host of a Sunday morning television program that did better ratings than Robert Schuler. You know, because at that point, the Reverend Robert Schuler was really the the big uh, tele evangelist, uh, and they thought thought that line was so controversial. They said, "No, you can't say that." Wow. Uh, so no wrestling. Uh, you know, didn't attract. But again, remember, you know, when they did uh, started doing the closed circuits and bars would be showing championship fights, those fights were always, you know, at generally a Saturday night or a Friday night. So people would go to bars and have drinks and be able to watch the fight. Where in those days, Wrestling was still just a local, you know, television show that, you know, everybody could watch at home. So, no, it, it um, until WrestleMania happened, that was really the first time, uh, I think, nationally. You know, I, I cited the, the one great show where, because the, the St. Paul Civic Center, the huge arena was sold out, they had three, 4,000 people <clears throat> next door watching it on closed circuit. But other than that, uh, it wasn't until WrestleMania when people began to, you know, congregate, uh, you know, go to other people's homes where, you know, you bought it. I think the first one was what, 1995. 
you know, and you could have 10 people over to, to watch it, or you could go, you know, a lot of, a lot of bars showed it in those days free, right. uh, because they knew, you know, it would drive up their, their bar tab, uh, right. and you know, their food bill. Uh, so no, up until then, uh, boxing was, was far and away, uh, the only events where people would, you know, buy it or congregate in a home or a, a bar or something to watch. I was just thinking, you know, you're talking about Lou Holtz, you're talking about college football, you're talking about bars, and I'm thinking you get together, you place a couple of good bets, and I know that the best place that I would do that, I mean, I'm just talking about me, but I would do that at my bookie, and I would use the promo code VOC Nation, and I would double my first deposit, Ken. I would get up to $1,000 in free play, because you know what, Ken Resnick? Winning season returns at my bookie. Winning season means just what I said, doubling your first deposit. It means insane props, epic bonuses, and the craziest cross-sport wagers. At my bookie, winning season means watching live sports and betting live sports all season long. Rejoice, Ken. The NFL's returned. The Eagles lost, right? That's a heartbreaker for me. But that means action-packed Sundays and huge cash prizes. Get in on the action. Use the promo code VOCNATION. Double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play. It's designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Bet with the best this NFL season for your chance to win big. Use the promo code VOCNATION. Double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today only at MyBookie. Had to get that Again, out. transition extraordinaire. The voice uh, of choice, Bruce Wirt. Let's transition into, uh, you know, we have the stage set, right? The We've talked about all three promotions, what they're doing. Uh the big names, right, that are out there and they're starting to turn heads in professional wrestling, Hulk Hogan, obviously Nick Bockwinkle's out there, Ric Flair's out there, Harley Race in the NWA, uh, two guys that really uh, made a name for themselves. And it wasn't just then, but they really kind of rose to the, uh, the front of people's minds, or some people, Roddy Piper, Greg Valentine, dog collar match at Starcade. Uh, does that ring a bell for you, Ken? Did you, did, did that turn your head at, at the time that that happened? The, the bloody dog collar match? I, I mean, I, I've seen it, but you know, I, I, I think the one thing you and I owe to all the listeners is being totally honest. I didn't see Starcade. I mean, like I said, it, it, it didn't really register, uh, that big, you know, here in the the Twin Cities because, you know, AWA, you know, 80, 90% uh, market penetration. Uh, I mean, we heard about it. Um, I, I think, you know, back uh, in the 80s and 90s, that kind of led to, you know, a, a little more, you know, of the bloody uh, matches because it, it was so talked about but if you think about it back then no one really i think could have foreseen the legendary dominant personality that roddy piper would become did piper ever 
cross into Vern's territory when you were when you were up there? Uh, no, not. I I think he he may I think he wrestled a little bit uh, maybe way way back uh, as he was just starting out. But by the time you know uh, eighty three eighty four came around, Roddy was beginning to be established uh, in the WWF. And again, Vince was smart enough to to see the potential that you know Roddy could be you know back in those days you kind of talked about the great eight <clears throat> you know the, the you needed you know eight really good top guys in, in a territory and uh, you know, like he, he's done with a lot uh, Vince could could see what he had uh, you know and, and began the the push <clears throat> but that said that it doesn't matter how good a push you're given if you aren't able to connect with the fans, it doesn't matter. But, you know, when Roddy got that push, I mean, uh, you know, rest his soul, boy, could he connect. So um, I, I thought, so, so, you know, we start to see the players come together and, and I, I don't want to make this a, uh, a WWF podcast, but I think, you know, the major part of the eighties or a big part was Vince changing the business and taking it nationally. And we start to see that come together. But I think one of the funny things for me, if you look at the highlights of that year, we, uh, you see Vince McMahon withdrawing from the national wrestling Alliance because he has plans to take the promotion outside the North Northeast and really to take over the wrestling industry. And he starts, uh, his, you know, he does that with his syndicated shows. He's got cable TV coming into play with the USA Network. And because of that move, Pro Wrestling Illustrated in 1983 revoked the recognition of the WWF title in its magazine because they, they said, well, if they're not going to be part of the NWA and have Backlund face challengers across the country, uh, we're going to we're going to consider it a regional promotion and we're not going to give it the notoriety. Do you remember that happening? Did that, did that ring, uh, does that ring a bell or did that? I, I, I remember because uh, Bill after used to uh, come to the twin cities and uh, that's where I first met him. He, he would uh, be at ringside and photograph some of the AWA uh, shows. And I, I, I don't know if it was Bill that told me, or, you know, I, I just heard about it. But kind of looking at what Vince was doing, I remember thinking to myself, yeah, you really want to cut your nose off to spite your face on that one. <laughs> we're going yeah. to stop recognizing WWF Ken Resnick, and we're going to really place our focus on you. I don't know. Yeah. That's my, my best bill. Well, I know that. Is. Hey, hey, I... I I, I, as you well know, I, I'm not big on, on, you know, patting myself on the back, but I, I will admit to this, that uh, the first time, you know, once a year, and I think this was, it may have been eight, 85, uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated used to do their top 10, you know, uh, champions, light champions, ladies, tag teams, you know, all these different things. Yeah. Um uh, and when I hit the top, you know, when I think I was like suddenly eighth in their top 10 announcers, 
you know, I pulled that page out of a magazine <laughs> and still I have it to this day. <laughs> Hanging on the wall of, of uh, Ken Resnick. No, it's not on the wall, but I saved it. It's in a drawer. Well, well WWF, uh, you know, so they retaliate. They published their first magazine, Victory Magazine. That was the predecessor to the WWF magazine. And, uh, you know, Jimmy Snuka is the guy that is uh, the most popular wrestler, I guess, in the promotion at that time. And he was on the, the cover of the first magazine. Also, Ken, in May of, of that year, uh, we have, and, and you see, I mean, we talk about, if people go back and listen to some of the other shows that we did when we did a live call-in radio show uh, before we, we went to this podcast-only format, we talked a lot about AEW and, and NXT and the current style of high-flying. But you know, on May 31st, Jimmy Snuka dives over the top rope onto Morocco during a pre-match confrontation. And that move, bouncing off the ropes and diving clean off the top rope onto a wrestler outside the ring, is considered to be one of the first uh, spots of that kind in wrestling. So we see it almost every week, maybe three times, a, uh, three times a week now. But that was the first time that happened, and it was Jimmy Snuka back in uh, May of 1983. So the, <laughs> how, the, how far the, we the original high spot. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't want to gloss over it, but again, if you think about it, it was, and I'm sure this was not Bill After's decision because he's not made that way, but whoever made the decision to stop recognizing the WWF champion, basically, and, you know, I think everyone knows, you know, Vince doesn't play well with others. Yeah. Uh, and I think Vince said, oh, yeah, you're going to do that to me? Okay, fine, I'm going to start my own magazine. So, again, you know, not one of the best business decisions of all time. Uh, and I, I think it took quite a while before they were able to kind of get back in the, the WWF good graces where they could, you know, begin interviewing talent and doing stories again. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, during that, that huge run, PWI didn't have the access that, that they did. I mean, they, they really, Vince might have done his own thing anyway, but it certainly didn't, you're right, it didn't help help their cause. Uh, I, I think without question, it, it, it hastened it. Now, I'm still waiting for your transition into, you know, mentioning pro wrestling tees and the Bach Nation t-shirts before we run out of time tonight. Well, I, I will do that. <laughs> Uh, now that you've prompted me, you can, and, and I'll, I was going to do this at the end when, uh, when everybody's definitely going to be listening, but, and I'll do it again then, but you can get, so, so if you're listening to this for the very first time, we want you to come back and come through the eighties with us. Cause I think we're going to have a fun journey. And there's a lot of people, I see it on Twitter, uh, all the time, Ken, people ask where you are and what you're doing and. Uh, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, Killer Ken Resnick is right here on VOC Nation, and we have this wrestling with history thing, and we can kind of take a journey back in time with Ken, and, you know, Ken wasn't a booker like like uh, Bruce Pritchard or, or a producer, but Ken was backstage, he interacted with a lot of the guys and has some great stories, so Ken and I have had a lot of fun over the last year, but for you Ken Resnick fans, and, and you wrestling fans in general that like to collect, 
you don't you probably don't have a killer ken resnick t-shirt and you can get one at the voc nation shop so either go to pro wrestling tees and search for ken resnick or go right to vocnation.com click on the t-shirt link and you can get your own killer ken resnick t-shirt and there's some other shirts on there a nice Fox nation t-shirt the ugly shirt of brady hicks but you can get your voc nation t-shirt and uh and that's what keeps us going so you know we're not part of uh one of the big podcasting networks or um you know a big uh, syndicated radio network uh we're doing this uh voc nation's a privately owned organization uh we've been one of the longest running networks out there you know kind of before podcasts were even a thing uh and we do it through your support so buy buy a couple of t-shirts support the program and that helps us to bring you more and more and more there's some other great shows on voc nation and some other uh interesting and uh or in talent that that's interesting to listen to west briscoe uh on the briscoe and big a show obviously no news this week that jerry briscoe was let go by vince mcmahon um and uh i know you're going to want to hear what west has to say about that we have uh, the maestro w the former wcw star the maestro on thursdays uh, Brady Hicks from Pro Wrestling Illustrated does In the Room every Tuesday on VOC Nation. Uh, Shelly Martinez, who was Ariel and in the WWE and, and Salinas and TNA, uh, does Shelly Live every Tuesday as well. And then Ken, coming to VOC Nation on Thursdays starting next week, Sassy Steffi, the independent, uh, wonderful female star, Sassy Steffi, uh, will debut her show. So lots of great stuff happening besides wrestling with history. And I appreciate that prompt. I, I try, you know, uh, one thing, Bruce, if people, you know, tweet you, you say you get some tweets, people wondering, you know, uh, what I'm doing. If anybody answers that, can you let me know? Cause I'd sure be interested. <laughs> I will definitely do that. <laughs> if somebody figures out what I'm doing, please tell me. <laughs> Yeah, you, you know, Ken, for all, everybody out there that, that uh, doesn't know Ken like I know Ken, he sure changes his career. There's so many people that you made a very lasting impact, Ken Resnick, on people uh, watching wrestling in the 80s. I was one of them. I was, I was uh, a, a fan of Ken Resnick's work. You know, Ken and Gene Okerlund were the people that I grew up on watching backstage interviews and getting to see who was coming to my town next, next week or next month. So... Uh, you know, don't don't shortchange your your impact in the hearts and minds of professional wrestling fans. Uh, I I truly uh, being completely honest, uh, you know, I did the the really the, the first one I'd done in a long long time. Uh, I did the gathering last year uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina, for our, you know our, our good friend Martin D'Amato, uh, and I was just blown away by the reaction uh i got from so many fans uh that it said you know they were so excited about meeting me and getting a picture with me uh i i think it's you know uh, kind of one of those things and really even for a lot of the the wrestlers uh you know when you're you know in the forest you really don't see the trees um, so I, I have been, uh, blown away. And even when I did the, the big event, 
uh, in March uh, before you know the, the world shut down. Uh, that's always been uh, amazing uh, to me. Yeah, and, and you should feel very good about that, Ken. And um, <clears throat> I think you you have a lasting impact in the hearts and minds of people. And I know it's a sore subject for you, but you're uh, you have a, a lot of archive footage on the WWE Network. So. And and someday Ken and I'll do some watch alongs and, and we'll look at look back at some of those things on the WWE network. But I don't want to get Ken riled up, so uh, I'll Oh, I don't get get riled up. I I mean uh, just see, you know, uh, nobody, you know, any any of of the talent, the wrestlers, uh got get, you know, anything from that. Uh people ask me uh, you know, if I have it, when I tell them I, I don't and, and never have, they're somewhat taken back. And I just kind of say, I just can't see paying Vince, you know, nine ninety five a month to watch myself. <laughs> I can just look in the mirror. Uh, but I, I'm lucky. Um, so many uh, things and people share it with me on, on uh, Facebook. So many uh, old interviews pop up on, on YouTube. Um, social media um it wasn't until yeah, about i think a, a year ago when uh someone uh posted it to me um you know my brief uh appearance on piper's pit with rowdy roddy i, I mean i was there i taped it but we were on the road so i next never actually saw it uh until you know somebody uh posted it on, on social media um, in fact, just someone, uh, the other day posted, uh, I think a superstar show, uh, you know, where I'm interviewing, uh, Freddie Blassie and Lou Albano and, uh, the British Bulldogs and, and Roddy Piper. I mean, the thing that I, still takes me back is that so many of those legendary, uh, people that I had the, the amazing privilege to to work with and be friends with, uh, are just, you know, gone. Um, so it, it's, uh, uh, great business, but boy, it, it certainly took its toll on a lot of people. Yeah. Very sad to see so many people left us way too early as well. And that's one of the things that we'll talk about as we go through the, uh, the weeks and the months here is, you know, some of the, the births and the deaths uh, in professional wrestling, um, you know, from this time period or people that were, um, you know, that were prominent that left us too soon. And um, I just know, I mean, I, I was blessed to be able to, uh, when, when I had the show on Philadelphia radio and we were syndicated uh, across the country through various sites and uh, I got a chance to be on the inside and get to know a lot of, uh, a lot of the people that I grew up, um, really choosing as my heroes and, uh, made some good friends and, and a lot of those people are, are gone and not with us anymore. So uh, very sad, um, very sad, but, uh, I think the memories are always there and, and professional wrestling for a lot of people, uh, it's just a lasting impact. It's something that's burned into your heart forever. Well, on, on that happy note. <laughs> yeah. 
well, let's just so we're transitioning um, and just just kind of taking us uh, through the rest of the major stuff in '83. Southwest Championship Wrestling. So that's the Texas promotion that's owned by Joe Blanchard, uh, Tully's father. They had a program on the USA Network. That's canceled, and the WWF gets that slot with their program, All American Wrestling. So that sets the stage for you know Vince's growth through cable TV, and uh, you know that that's a major uh, major thing because that's going to end up uh, TNT starts going uh, on USA, and I mean we we know where that led to now, but. You know, very, very interesting move. And again, this is all before the major stuff. And uh, in December, December 27th, as we're closing out the year, Hulk Hogan returns to the WWF at a TV taping in St. Louis. And uh, Ken, we'll talk next week more in long form about uh, that lead up. Hulk Hogan kind of transitioning from AWA to WWF. I think a lot of people. Um, are going to be interesting, interested to hear about your perspective on that story. Even if you don't have all of the information, uh, I think we should uh, just touch a little bit on that as we go into 84. But can I give you, before we leave, Ken, can I give you PWI, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and the Wrestling Observer Awards for that year? Sure. So Wrestler of the Year, this is 83. And it's interesting. I, I, I want some feedback on this at Bruce VOC on Twitter. Harley Race is your wrestler of the year. It's not Ric Flair. The PWI tag team of the year is the Road Warriors, Hawk and Animal. Match of the year is Flair versus Harley Race. Most popular wrestler of the year, not Hulk Hogan. It's actually Jimmy Superfly Snuka. And next week, Ken, I want to talk to you about Snuka and Hogan and um, the whole controversy with Snuka and maybe that's why Vince didn't go with Jimmy as, uh, you know, his centerpiece. Most hated wrestler was Greg Valentine. Most improved was Brett Sawyer. Most inspirational wrestler of the year was Hulk Hogan. Rookie of the year, Angelo Mosca Jr. Manager of the year, not Bobby Heenan, but James J. Dillon. And the Grand Wizard was the, uh, the, award, the Editor's Award winner. And then uh, quickly, the Wrestling Observer, Wrestler of the Year, Ric Flair. Feud of the Year was the Freebird versus the Von Erichs. Tag Team of the Year, Steamboat versus, or Steamboat and Jay Youngblood. Most Improved, Kurt Heading, and Best on Interviews, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Anything you disagree with there, Ken? Because uh, the one thing that stands out to me, um, and, and we'll talk about this a lot next week, I feel like without Bobby Heenan, uh, so many f- big faces, uh, big stars that were faces wouldn't have gotten over the way they did, Hulk Hogan being one of them. So I was surprised that James J. Dillon was the manager of the year. Was Bobby Heenan, um, I-, I mean, I've seen the tapes of Bockwinkle and Heenan and, you know, Bobby on AWA TV. Uh, was Bobby Heenan in that ilk back then or was he not that prominent until he got to New York? Oh, uh, I, that, and no, absolutely no disrespect to, to uh, James J. Dillon. Uh, he's certainly absolutely in the conversation, but uh, I, I, it should have been Bobby Heenan. Um, yeah, Bobby was uh, as 
in the AWA as he was in the WWF. Uh, he just didn't have the, the national footprint um, and obviously didn't do the kind of commentary he ended up doing uh, in the WWF. But again, as I mentioned with um, Roddy Piper, one thing Vince can do is judge the talent. And he knew what he had in, in Bobby Heenan. Uh, and to close, the only thing I will say that I, I don't think Bobby Heenan gets enough credit for, if you look at any interview Bobby Heenan did, somewhere within the body of that interview, whether it was for Nick Bockwinkle, whether it was when he was managing you know, Kurt Hennig, Ric Flair, Bobby Heenan always made sure somewhere, somehow to put over the opponent. Uh, and, and that I think is something that's, that's lost today, but Bobby, you know, always had respect for whoever, you know, he or him family member was working with. And he always made certain to try and put over the opponent in the body of an interview as well. Well, I mean, nowadays, and we can talk about this uh, more in the coming weeks, but sometimes managers, when they, when they, when there is a manager, they put over themselves yeah. over the talent. So um, de- definitely a different mentality. Uh, some birthdays that are significant in that year, February 21st, our very own Wes Briscoe was born in 1983. Uh, we lost um, uh, Frank Tunney and Ernie Roth, uh, who was uh, obviously better known as the Grand Wizard in 1983. And then debuts, Scott Armstrong, Paul Diamond, Darren Matthews, Jushin Thunderlager, Rick Steiner, uh, and uh, more significant, June 6th of 83, Road Warrior Hawk makes his wrestling debut. And Ken, on June 24th, 1983, the very first match for the one and only Mick Three Faces of Foley. And that wraps up our recap of 1983. So uh, one episode in the book for the new format, Ken. What do you think? What do you think about this versus uh, taking calls from our our wacky and wild and wonderful uh, group of callers that we have during the live show? We're way over our hour. Let's talk about this next week. All right. A uh, lot of fun, Ken. Uh, listen, make sure you go to VOC Nation, get your Killer Ken Resnick t-shirt. Make sure that you uh, check out all the other VOC Nation programming. And when you're placing your NFL bets, use the promo code VOC Nation at MyBookie. Double your first deposit up to $1,000. That's going to do it for us this week. Very special thanks to Killer Ken Resnick. I want to thank the people at ProWrestling.Fandom.com for some of the information. Obviously, Wikipedia is a a great source. Uh, CrazyMax.org, the history of WWE.com. And uh, that's about it. I think I got all those uh, thanks and plugs in. Uh, We'll be back here next week. The episode will drop on Wednesday for Killer Ken Resnick. I am the voice of choice, Bruce Wirt. This is Wrestling With History on the VOC Nation radio network. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation.
right here is the future of wrestling.